any word could have could have been there. You can rhyme so many words so with many sons. Words. <laughs> you had so to go house words. of fun, unless your parents were carnies and you were raised in a traveling menagerie of good times. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 1001 Album Complaints. It's the show where friends, musicians, and general complainers dig deep into the backgrounds and stories behind some of history's most influential albums and bands, as immortalized in the list of the 1001 albums you must hear before you die. So I'm going to give you some history on the band, on the album, and then we'll do a deep dive on a handful of the tracks. At the end, we'll all vote on whether you actually need to hear this album before you die, and then we'll randomly select next week's album. As usual, we want to thank you for spending the next hour-ish with us, and this week, I want to start by pointing out what a jerk Katie Kirk used to be. Yeah, it's a bit random, but bear with me. (laughs) In an episode of 60 Minutes from 2007, way before celebrities reading mean tweets was a thing, Kirk went all spinal tap and sat with tonight's artist and read a bunch of negative reviews of her music in previous albums. Like, what the hell did Kirk expect (laughs) to get out of that? Well, I'll tell you what I got out of it. Potentially the funniest two-word review I've ever heard. Snora Jones. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) my name is Adam. I've been playing music for 30 years and played professionally for over a decade. And today I'm going to be leading us through the debut from Nora Jones. The album Come Away With Me has been called a pop jazz album while simultaneously being called the most unjazz album ever released by Blue Note Records. Hey guys, a little sidebar here. What's the difference between a jazz musician and a pizza? I don't know. A pizza can feed a family of four. Anyway, if you're familiar with this album, (laughs) welcome to the party. And if you've never heard a note of this album, let's fix that right now by playing the opening track off of Come Away With Me. This song is called Don't Know Why. Right, so that was track one, side one, debut album from Nora Jones. We love those tracks. Let's work our way around the studio today with some intros of the crew and our tweet length reviews. Let's throw it over to Phil first. Hey guys, what's up? Phil here. Uh, happy to be back this week. You know, this week, this week I, I, I was doing a little soul searching. I was familiar with uh, "Come Away with Me." I, I had heard the record, you know, back when it came out. And I mean, what it comes down to is, I, I, I've passed on records like "The Police's Synchronicity," "Madonna's Like a Prayer," Willie Nelson's "The Redheaded Stranger," Prince's "Purple Rain." These are all no's for me. Whereas. 12 Dreams of Dr. Sardonicus. That's apparently a yes. That's apparently a yes for me. So, you know, I, I think Nora Jones has come away with me is a very nice record. And I'm looking forward to talking about it tonight. <laughs> All right, let's throw it over to Rob. Hey, all, this is Rob here. Excited to talk about Snora Jones. <laughs> My tweet length review is... Don't know why I didn't call out sick from the podcast this week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you see All how right. this is going. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. Let's uh Tom, what do you got? All right. This is Tom, everybody. My tweet length review is a sentient turtleneck sweater and warm cup of tea come to life and make an album. <laughs> oh, Seriously. Almighty. We're coming in hot. All right, this is Adam, and my my quick review is that 
As a musician and singer who exploded into fame, Nora Jones famously turned down the opportunity to have her biggest single remixed into a dance version to be played in clubs and dance halls. She cited her fear of overexposure and that her music would become diluted. But have no worries. You can still hear most of her music at your local CVS, dentist office, or Costco. <laughs> that yeah, was the, uh, yeah. That was one of my tweet rejects that uh, my right. Spotify subscription lapsed, but I luckily I just stopped by Starbucks every time I wanted to hear a track. <laughs> uh, th- listen, this is a nice album. It's a very nice album. She has a great voice, but I mean, must hear. That's a that's a high bar, and it is. It is. Now, Phil mentioned Willie Nelson, and I get some Willie Nelson vibes that I think we'll hit on. I mean, I my overall impressions, you know, I, I like her voice. I like the songs. They're simple. She, she reimagines some of these tunes. She, she admittedly worships Willie Nelson. So I see like some, some uh, kind of uh, similarities there coming down the road. So we'll, we'll see what happens. The players are fantastic, right? Like the guys on the record and the other musicians that the guys play around the record are fantastic. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that because I had this running through my head and we're going to have to get it out at some point, but you know, it's very in vogue nowadays to uh, call people a Nepo baby. I'm like, is Nora Jones a Nepo baby? yes. I mean, there's a world in which it's 100%. There's a world in which it's no, but I don't understand how for your first album you can get – they tried to record this twice, right? Like she got so much time to make this happen. It's kind of insane to me. (laughs) Yeah, and this is what you got. We should clarify that she is the daughter of Ravi Shankar, who is himself a famous – Musician, and I think her mother is some kind of concert promoter. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Right. Right. Notably, though, she she ditched the Indian first name, which was Gitali, and of course, she goes by her her two middle names, which is Nora Jones or her mother's last name Jones, and and never went by a, a Shankar. Gitali Shankar. <laughs> yeah. Right. Something tells yeah, me this that. probably would have played a little worse with post nine eleven America if she came out as Gitali Shankar, because most uh, people can't differentiate between you know names from Indian and the, yeah right yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> names. It's from also the far I mean, East, so far away from Eastern music. You know what I mean? It's yeah right. You're talking right. about well she. she she never really felt connected with her dad. She she would see him maybe two to three times a year from the time she was born up through, I think she was nine or 10. And then he disappeared. And she restarted the relationship a decade later when she was like 19. So people often ask her like, oh, do you feel Indian? She's like, no, like my mom's white. I grew up in Texas. I love country music. I love Patsy Cline and Willie Nelson. What about me looks, or, you know, can you associate with Indian aside from that her father happens to be probably the most <laughs> famous sitar player in the world yeah. and played with the Beatles and all that stuff. By the way, props to Ravi, Sh- Ravi Shankar here. He's knocking up his side piece at 59 years old. That guy is <laughs> that guy's still making it happen. He sounds like kind of a dick though, because I also, I read in his uh, write-up about his funeral, they were talking about how Nora Jones and her mom were there and how they didn't have they had like this very fractious relationship, not a lot of familial connections. And they're like, but you know, the families reconciled and really fixed their relationship in 2003, which happened to be when Nora Jones won five Grammys. <laughs> it's like, well, that's right. She comes knocking at her door. Yeah. Hey, honey, hey. I'm back. You need some Maybe sitar. we could collaborate. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of the old Adam Carolla bit where he's talking about how terrible his parents are. And he's like, look, I get it. They were just playing the odds. What are the chances that the kid you abandoned is going to grow up to be a <laughs> diamond-selling, <laughs> Grammy-winning artist? I mean, it's unlikely. All right, so let's dive into a little bit of the history of Nora Jones. So she was born in 1979 in Manhattan. And like we said, she was the daughter of Sue Jones and, and world-famous sitar player Ravi Shankar. So I had mentioned that they, they kind of fell out of uh, touch with each other. She discovered at 18 that she had a half-sister named Anushka Shankar, who actually is also a, a famous uh, sitar player. They, they recorded a couple songs together that you can find on Spotify as well. So she and her mother move from New York to Grapevine, Texas, where she was raised by both her, her mother and her grandparents. At age five, she started singing in the choir, 
very eclectic mix of music in the house. Like I said, Willie Nelson, Hank Williams, Linda Ronstadt, Patsy Cline, lots of lots of country music as she grew up. You know, I'm catching this theme of a lot of really great artists and also Nora Jones came up through like the church music scene. Maybe I should be like trying to find me some Jesus and get my kids involved in that scene. (laughs) Just start going to church, man. That's that's where it's going to happen. So at 13, they move from Grapevine to Dallas, which is only about 25 minutes down the road, and she enrolls in Booker T. Washington High School for the Visual and Performing Arts. Notable alumni there is Erica Badu and Roy Hargrove, in case you're keeping track at home. Uh, from there, she went on to the University of North Texas, where she majored in jazz piano. And right there, I got to give her props. She's a great piano player. Great feel. I think feel I think feel is the right word, but I was searching for it's not a showcase for piano really at all. It's very understated, as are all the instruments. Sure, sure. You're right. There's no breakout moment where she's hammering away and doing any any crazy no, solos it, or anything like that. It's tasteful though. It's very tasteful. It's tasteful. Piano. Yeah. It's tasteful. And so perhaps the fact that she's sounds like she's holding her own with a lot of these studio monsters, Bill Frizzell and the like, oh, yeah, who were brought right. in on these sessions. Brian Blade. Yeah, that's that speaks to her talent, I suppose. But I was expecting, when I turned it on, a little more piano, flowery showcase-ness. I gotta say, I didn't have any expectations when I turned it on. I The first time I listened to it was basically right after we did the last podcast, and I had... No idea about any of Nor. I didn't even know she was Ravi Shankar's daughter or anything like that. I okay. just sort of listened to it, went in blind, and this is one of those times where I listened to it and I was like, "Oh, this this is a pretty good album. I like this album." And then I found out that she didn't write ninety nine percent of the material on there, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, that's a huge we'll, bummer." We'll get to okay. that. Yeah, right. yeah. I wondered how right. long it would take to bring up Led Zeppelin one problems. <laughs> I mean, she wishes she had Led Zeppelin one problem. Uh, yeah, that's not even that's not even the problem, guys. I mean, that's that's not it. So while she was at at school at University of North Texas, she ran into a couple of songwriters who were touring across the country. One of the guys was Jesse Harris, who she'll later on wind up writing, uh, co-writing, and and using some of his songs on this album. So she shows Jesse Harris and his friend around Denton, Texas. They they form a friendship. Jesse Harris and his friend go back to New York. Nora keeps up with them. A year later, she drops out of college and she moves to Manhattan and tries to start her career. She starts off waiting tables, getting jazz gigs. She moves to, to New York. She's doing jazz gigs. Uh, she was saying that that when she started out, she was playing these, these jazz gigs that were just four and five hours long where she was just singing and playing music. She'd make 50 bucks for it and then continue to go wait tables. So she did this for about six months. Hold on. Is Good, that where yeah. she learned not to expend any energy in the vocal tech? <laughs> <laughs> it's called smart singing, man. She's very uh, conservative. She's yeah. She's probably tired after working that shift at the Denny's. Or I, I could have. <laughs> she winds up playing at this club slash Jewish recreation center called Maker M A K O R, which I was looking in the New York Times had an article back in two thousand that it was like. A, a jazz club restaurant lounge that was kind of fronting as like a, a, a Jewish community center. <laughs> so there was like, you know, neighbors around were complaining because there were all these boisterous crowds out front, but they were claiming like nonprofit status and all that stuff. So anyway, she kind of, uh, she, she, she had a residency there where she was playing a lot. She Very boisterous. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some exec from Blue Note Records saw her. They sign her and front her some money for a demo. I Listen, I got to tell you, I don't buy that story. <laughs> I know that that's the story. That's I don't buy that story. If you wrote okay. a movie script and told me that your dad is a very famous musician who played with the Beatles, and then you completely through just other happenstance happen to have a Blue Note executive at one of your tiny shows who just says, hey, here's a huge record, Keneal. Let's Let me get you all the resources that you need to make your vision happen completely independent of your dad's influence. I would say that's bullshit. There's no way I would buy that. What in the heck was going on at Blue Note at the time? This is so... Blue Note, for those who don't know, is the iconic jazz jazz label. label. They put out so many great sort of hard bop 50s, 60s, and beyond jazz records, classics that even 
your average non-jazz aficionado would would recognize. And then right. and then this? Like what was happening to them in the 90s? Well, <laughs> I think there's a different question is what the hell was happening with America and music at the time? Because in the year 2002 when this came out was a year that was dominated by two Nickelback songs oh on the top God. of the charts, Probably two Avril Lavigne songs on the top of the charts for a significant portion of the year. Usher, J-Lo, Ja Rule, Creed, Pink, Brandy, Shakira, all of those were in like the top 15 when this album was released. So it's, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's odd because it turns out that this was the, I think the most selling or highest grossing album that Blue Note ever released. So whoever so what, came like up with the idea, they filled copies, right? They filled their coffers regardless of whether or not it was quote unquote jazz. Listen, I got to tell you, if every time I turn on the radio, I'm hearing, this is how you remind me. <laughs> I would, when Nora Jones came on, it'd be a breath of fresh air. He'd be like, yes. oh, what yeah, is this? Right. This is great. <laughs> I don't think they're going for the same demo, Tom. <laughs> I don't think so. But I mean, there's a lot of people who just get what's played on top 40 radio. That's what they listen to, especially back then when there weren't streaming yeah. services. You're just getting what's yep. on in your car. It's like, that's even like, is that maybe pretty serious? Like uh, satellite radio stuff, or like maybe very early satellite radio. So you're just getting what's being played, and if this is getting played on the same station that Avril Lavigne's getting played on, which I think it might have been. I don't know. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Yeah. So this album was right around the time. I guess it was 2002, where I had a job uh, where I was just like filing over the summer, and the the admin in the office had on like this milk toast radio station that was in Delaware at the time, WSTW. It was just top 40. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I remember they played that Sheryl Crow song, something about the sun. I want to stare at the sun. Soak up the sun. Soak up the sun. Thank you. Yeah. Me and a friend tracked how many times that was played every day. It was played twice an hour for like eight hours straight. <laughs> it was just unbearable. And this, this is the time that this is coming out now. I feel like she actually did fall into that, where those stations were just cranking this tune, or at least the, the main the main track off this tune. How bad was your drinking problem after 16 <laughs> plays of Soak Up the Sun during the course of your day? <laughs> it was also, it was so bizarre, too, because I think that first Eminem tune had just come out, so they were like playing that three times an hour. It was just so obnoxious. Yeah. By the way, WSTW, I'd like to point out. Yes, that was the station that Steely Dan was too hard for them. They were like, "No, we can't. We can't play Steely Dan. Ugh, I don't know about this. They have like slight distortion on their guitars sometimes. You can't do that. No." One notch up from from elevator music. All right, so Nora Jones and team they they get some cash to to record this demo. So in a two day session, they record nine demos in October of two thousand. Right. So Tom, to your point, a lot of time from when they cut the, these first couple songs to when it's released. You know, two and a half years later, six of those nine songs are pressed onto an album called First Sessions, which they only printed about 10,000 albums. Four of the songs from First Session wind up on this debut album, and then the rest of the songs are recorded between October of 2000 and December of 2001, and Come Away With Me is released on February 26th of 2002. All right, so I have an extensive by the numbers for, for this album, okay? So our episode will be released almost 21 years to the day since the album was released. She was 22 when this album was released. This had zero Billboard number one hits on it. In fact, the best performing song only hit number 30. She won nine Grammys throughout her career, but was shot zero times. 50 Cent was shot nine times and won one Grammy. And I mention that because at the end of 2003, if you look at the top albums of the year, it was it was 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying, and then Nora Jones right underneath of that, which I just think is hilarious. I got it. I am a little surprised that 50 Cent outsold her, I got to say. Or maybe like in the, <laughs> the fullness of time, she sold more. Because this does seem like it has a baked-in demographic of like people with a couple of cats. <laughs> it's, you know, and I, I say this is somebody with two cats. I love cats. Right. But th there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, this is like the new hip version. Tom, let's not, let's not pretend you're not above like popping this on and like making some raviolis from scratch, okay? Oh, no. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is a great album for I, that. I great very much album. enjoyed this week. I actually made like a smoked salmon fettuccine Alfredo last night while bumping <laughs> this album. And I was like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> I shot my dill up. All right. I'm definitely above that. I'm not doing that. I'm going on record right now. So continuing with our numbers here, her songs have been streamed six billion times worldwide. Five Grammys for this album. As of 2016, this album sold 27 million copies worldwide, although a more recent figure from the New York Times put that number closer to 30 million. It spent 164 weeks in the charts. It went to number one in 14 countries and $1,500, which was the amount that she and two other roommates paid for rent right up until uh, the Grammy Awards. So she was still staying in a two-bedroom apartment even as this record was taking off. So we're supposed to believe she's got a hard scrabble life, is that right? <laughs> Did you say six billion? Is she like Michael Jackson? I mean, I'm sure she has a lot of money now. And she was at least from a lot of the interviews I read and some of the interviews I watched, she was at least humble about what was going on with with her stardom and the albums. She was never kind of, which how could you be as a jazz blue note artist? Be like, yeah, I'm the shit dog. <laughs> Do that. So, you know, whether or not it was all fake, I appreciated it listening to her talk that she did seem kind of down to earth. Not um, hanging out with Kid Rock's backpacks of cocaine style. Just like, whoa, baby. <laughs> she seems not, kind not and humble. I yes, I agree. Uh, you know, I actually, I saw that. She has two kids. Their names have never been released to the media, so people don't know what her kids' names are. Good on her for that. Apparently, she was upset because she is married to another musician, but they didn't want anybody to know that they were married. And like another singer happened to like drop it in an interview that he was hanging out with this married couple, which was Nora Jones and her husband, and they were like upset that like that got out. So very private person, which right. I can I can respect. It's kind of hard to be private when you sell thirty million albums, but. I think her next two albums also went platinum as well. Like she's got some, she's got some sales. Yeah, they they sold a lot. She she did she did pretty well. She also had a couple side projects, which again they they made me like her a little more. You know, she has a side project that's basically a country band. You know, they called it a country supergroup. I don't listen to that much country, so a lot of the names didn't mean a lot to me. But she, you know, missed what she grew up with in Texas, so she did that. I think between like her second album and third album, she got together with some friends and put together this like ridiculous pop rock band where she wore a wig on stage. I mean, it, it, she seems like a cool character. I'm going to throw this out there. This is like catnip for Phil specifically. But would you maybe say that Nora Jones is the female John Mayer? <laughs> <laughs> Phil? I, I mean, gut instinct says no, uh, but that's an interesting... <laughs> Does she have a... An Instagram presence where she talks about piano licks that maybe I'm not aware of. I mean, it just seems like she made music that got her super popular, but it wasn't maybe necessarily the music that she absolutely loved and wanted to make. And so it's like, well, now that I have all my money, I can just sort of do whatever I want. And what I want is not going to be, you know, come away with me again, chubby checker style, come away with me next summer, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. She could still be cashing those checks. No, I don't blame Nora Jones for this being super popular. I blame society. It was a weird time, man. The towers. Shame on you. (laughs) Shame on you. Rob coming in with the ire. I'm going to feel really guilty when I give you my final vote. (laughs) Rob's going to kick me off the podcast. All right. So. You know, I, we're 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 only like twenty five minutes in here, and you could just take a sound bite of somebody saying, "I don't know why," and just pop it in, just like pretty much every every third or fourth sentence here. All right. So look, looking at the personnel behind this album, Tom, you had mentioned she really didn't write many of the tunes. So this guy Jesse Harris wrote five of the songs. Three of them are covers. Two are written by Nora, and four are written by the bass player, a guy named Lee Alexander. So, Jesse Harris, by the way, luckiest dude ever. Because I listened to that Jesse Harris version of Don't Know Why that you put on there, and it's a good song. It is unremarkable. It's definitely not going to be a chart topper. Hold on. No, I disagree. The song's not good. I'm not I'm not going on with that. Oh, all right. He's not a good songwriter. I so I agree he's lucky. I'll agree with that. Yeah. But these those songs are so bland they taste like celery (laughs) there is good material on the album but it ain't coming from there 
Uh, listen, I think that Don't Know Why was a hit for a reason. And that reason is that, Waited for the da-da-da. That little pretty, melody right yeah. there, that's it. That's the, the main differentiator of it. And it sounds good. I, I don't mind that song at all. I found that song being stuck in my head more than I would like. Uh, but I didn't hate it. I wasn't like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. Well, let's take one second to recognize that Nora Jones does sound good, right? Like, Adam, your teeth don't hurt, right? No, like, I, I really, really like her voice. I, I think she's got really nice control. She's got a breathy jazz. Th- I mean, I think her voice fits jazz material. And I know, again, I, I'm saying that these are jazz songs. I realize there's a lot of contention around that. No, no. Okay, I'm not debating that. You know, I'm going to invoke what I believe Phil said about John Frusciante on the Red Hot Chili Peppers episode. I'm not saying she's a bad singer. That's another regrettable, another regrettable vote. <laughs> I'm saying <laughs> that there are thousands of women who would sound great in this situation. Like she's not doing anything particularly special. Most of my note here is that this is mostly unnecessary covers you could hear in virtually any coffee shop in the late 90s early 2000s. Exactly. This literally I wrote down. This sounds like I'm walking by a bar that has some woman singing in it and I'm like not going in there. Like all around the world they have this. Is Nora Jones to blame? Maybe. How <laughs> effing loud must her microphone have been to capture that? Like, she had to have been right up on that mic, and it had to be cranked. There is no belly singing on this album at all. It's all yeah, right, really right. high up in the neck, kind of like, waited for... It's, it's all like throat and tongue action and not like chest singing, which I... I would like to hear her push. Yeah, maybe she's got a great belt. voice. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, you never get to something real. And I thought Adam, you would have kind of picked up on that. But we haven't even really. We kind of danced around what I think my biggest problem with the album is, which is if you're gonna be this kind of singer, I get it. This is a valid area to be in. And she references Willie Nelson as an influence, and they're similar in the sense that they reinterpret old material. But the repertoire. I think was really poorly chosen for Nora Jones in this case. I can see that she has talent. I can see that they've assembled a lot of talent. But I think the issue of the song repertoire itself, she's not adding... On the album, I got you. She's okay. not adding right. to the vast majority of these songs. That's my problem. Yeah, I don't I don't get the whole, like, reimagining it. If the, the main reimagining of it in most songs is just, well, what if it was sung by a sweet-sounding girl? <laughs> And that's not a reimagining. That's a, that's a cover. Just covering it, yeah. yeah, with with newer recording equipment, better technology. Yeah. And I will say this: a fantastic producer, because I do think this album is impeccably produced. I do really like the sound that they get out of the band, and I like the sound that they, the construction of the way that they put the sounds together is very orally pleasing. It's. I will say this: I read a um, a review. Alex Petraitis of The Guardian. He was actually talking about her next album, but I think it very much fits for this album, which he said, uh-huh. uh, the record floats around the room like something produced by Airwick. It's just this like <laughs> ephemeral scent that kind of hangs around the room. It doesn't actually, it's not lasting in any way, shape, or form. Right, right. But I will throw it out to Arif Martin, the producer on the album. I think he does a fantastic job. And I think maybe my favorite part of the uh, research this week is learning that Arif Martin is credited with being the guy that discovered the Barry Gibb falsetto for the Bee Gees. He was the guy. It was like, yeah, you should try that. that. That's that's the thing. (laughs) Falsetto, that's going to be your thing. Yeah. Now never stop doing that, ever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) How about you make a... Pretty damn fantastic <laughs> career out of that from here on out. And your brother's going to hate you. <laughs> you know what? It's That's a great claim to fame. I got to admit. Yeah. Yeah. Phil, I like that. The idea that just from that point on, everything he does is falsetto. He's calling and ordering pizzas and falsetto. <laughs> <laughs> like, Barry, is that you? Ju- Come on, man. He jury duty yeah. with falsetto. <laughs> your Honor. All right, let's uh, let's jump into some of these songs. So at the top, we hit the first song. Again, it's not the title track. We'll come to that in a little bit. But the top, the but the first song in the album, don't know why. Let's drop into this one more time. My heart is
So this was actually the first take of this song in the, in the first demo session. So they, they, they cut this tune. This was the first take. They threw it on the album. It, it's as is. I think they threw in a couple overdubs. There's like an electric guitar and maybe some harmonies from her. But this was the first time they hit record in the studio for, for these sessions. And they got this complex of a take? This virtuistic playing and singing <laughs> in the first take? I can't believe that. <laughs> Stick a mic in a room in a jazz club I and mean, get the same listen, thing. It's pleasant. It is a very pleasant album. And again... It wasn't my favorite, but we talked about this in the pre-roll and the, the end of the, the last episode. Like I was able to play this with my family. My wife was like, I love this album. This is great. She also likes Hanson. Not the best taste in music ever. <laughs> but I can see why this was a hit. I can see why it was a hit. It doesn't necessarily speak directly to me, but I can see why it's a hit. It's like it's like apple pie or something. It's like, oh, that's very nice, you know? And, and to your point, like when maybe when the airwaves are crushed with Nickelback, right? Maybe this 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 feels this feels like a breath of fresh air. It's funny you mentioned apple pie because I pulled from a stereo gum review that said, don't know why is a beautiful song. Like pumpkin spice lattes are tasty and candlelit bubble baths feel nice. And I agree. Uh, yeah, well, what I, I agree with that appraisal. It's like basic bitch shit. Exactly. This is like right down the middle, basic bitch shit. Basic, like, yeah, duh. That tastes good. Okay, like moving on. I will, my first response, turning on the record listening to this of course i've heard it before because i'm alive and i saw on wikipedia that it was song of the year at the grammys that it won the grammy for song of the year and i wrote down must have been a pretty shitty year so just for clarity the other <laughs> nominees all right soak up the sun by cheryl crow <laughs> it was <laughs> I up, that was the same year god almighty <laughs> to be clear i think we appreciate plenty of cheryl crow on here on this podcast but not this one that one's no. garbage. That one's garbage. <laughs> Complicated by Avril Lavigne. I mean, you guys <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> Get the party started by Pink. Listen, it was a shitty year. All right, we can agree. All right, yeah. basic bitch. I like that Avril Lavigne song, and I love this you tune, like too. That I know. Well, you like that? You lost to, like, Skater Boy, her other big hit in that year. Oh, my God. If that's true, then I'm going to say, see you later, boy. Okay? I'm entitled to some shit. You guys know I love Hoobastank, too. So, I mean, t- t- take it for what you will. Can we talk for a second about the lyrics of this song? Because they're not very good. They're, like, mostly just, like, yeah, whatever. But the fact that this is the first four lines... I waited till I saw the sun. Don't know why I didn't come. I left you by the house of fun. Don't know why I didn't come. What's he talking about? Fun house? What the fuck is he talking about? Wait, I thought it was I left you by the house phone. No, I left like, you by the house were waiting. of That fun. would have been so much better. So any word could have been, could have been there. You can rhyme so many words so with many sons. Words. <laughs> you had so to go many house words. of fun. Unless your parents were carnies and you were raised in a traveling menagerie of good times. I cannot see why you would have a connection to a fun house to say the house of fun as Oh. That's okay, that's that's pretty bad. Wait a better fucking start, line, buddy. Start starting to check off <laughs> Song of the Year. <laughs> Song of the Year is ridiculous. I, yeah, I so I yeah, in general, I agree. It tastes nice in the way that ice cream tastes nice. Like moving on, right? It's obvious, but it doesn't mean I want to listen to it. I will give it a compliment though. I think there's very nice and dare I say jazzy voice leading on the guitar part. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I'll yeah. give it credit yeah. for that because for the listeners, what we're talking about is the fact that the chords sound on the guitar sound like they're just descending through a chord progression, but really what's happening is that the chords are a little more varied than that. They don't they don't just go straight down in terms of the the root notes or the bass notes, but instead the way the chords are arranged or or laid out the the certain uh, voicings they're using, they're getting a nice little like descending line in that top voice, and it sounds nice. When I saw the break of day. Wish that I could fly away. I did notice that that electric guitar descend line, it's like second one of the song. Hits a note that is not wrong, but it is dissonant. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. kind of like, 
like right up at the top of this very smooth song. And I was, I, if I had been producing this album, I'd have been like, why don't you hold off on the really dissonant <laughs> voicing of that until we've already got ourselves a cycle or two through where <laughs> I'm settling into something. Right it's like the, there's a blue note executive in the corner going, that's jazz, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, again, basic bitch that I am. But you know what? Smokey Robinson and George Benson both covered this song. Maybe they were just looking for some clicks or to sell some <laughs> albums or okay. they wanted to really get into that that uh, dentist office <laughs> instrumental vibe thing. George, first of all, George Benson is definitely already in the dentist office. I mean, I, I appreciate <laughs> how excellent a guitar player he is, but I was listening to Breezin actually over the weekend. <laughs> it's pretty. <laughs> and if you haven't heard it, turn it on. You will recognize it from the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you could throw Breezin right up next to Cruisin' and you got two hits right there. Exactly. Yeah, all right, all right. Yeah. Point taken, you bastards. All right, let's uh, let, let's move on to the second tune on our focus list. This one is called Turn Me On. Like a flower waiting to bloom Like a light bulb in a dark room I'm just sitting here waiting for you to come on home and turn me can we just make a new rule for the podcast? We've talked about this before. It's the Nina Simone rule. Don't fucking cover a song that Nina Simone has already done. She owns it. It's hers. Sorry. Well, so yeah, no, I wrote the same thing, of course, because listening to the Nina Simone version, you're like, wow, this is clearly the definitive version. And that's going to be the case for basically all songs that Nina Simone covers. I, I, I agree. However, the last time this came up on the podcast was David Bowie doing at least a radically different interpretation of Wild as the Wind. And I think we all agreed that we at least appreciated that he was adding something to the track. This is not that. This is poor choice, poor song choice. And if you're going to go with a Nina Simone track, you got to get wild with a thrash metal version of it. (laughs) Well, you can't have the only difference in the track be it's my voice and not Nina Simone's voice because you're not winning that battle. She also slowed it down a few clicks, which makes it a little yeah, more coffee yeah. shop milk toast, you know, like. Here's the other thing, not that I'm sure Nora Jones wouldn't love to be compared as a singer to Nina Simone. It's pretty unfair for anyone on the planet. But when you listen to Nina Simone right up next to her, as we did on our focus list this week, you hear all the humanity and fragility oh in a vocalist like Nina Simone's voice. And then you turn over to Nora Jones and you just hear... I know it's not auto-tune, but it's sort of the organic equivalent of auto-tune. It's just so palatable. It's the it's the safest version. Oh God, who would want it to sound good? No, it's safe. It sounds <laughs> safe. All right. And Nina Simone, her voice is bold, and she sings boldly, and she makes bold choices. And Nora Jones' voice is the opposite of bold. You never get her. I feel like maybe it's a. Maybe it's a little too harsh to say that she never commits, but I almost got that sense that she just never commits to it, where you're just like, oh, my God, you're letting it all hang out. She never lays into it, right? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I listened to the Nina Simone version, and her voice is so loud, it's almost distracting. (laughs) Like, like if if you listen to it, it, it's... And you want to hear the music, you turn it up, and Nina Simone is too loud in your earphones, so you actually have to like back everything down a bit. That was my only no Nina Simone. My only complaint loud, on the Nina. Listen, Simone I'm a version. Nina Simone fangirl over here. Nina Simone's was missing the Hammond, by the way. So oh well, there we go. Okay, end the podcast right here. There we go, bastards. There you That's go. Adam's argument has been laid bare. <laughs> Nora Jones, you're on the list. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. <laughs> in researching this, somebody was saying that basically a lot of people hand wave Nora Jones as being. Soft jazz, just whatever it's soft jazz, blah, blah, blah. But she paved the way, what they dubbed as the Nora Jones effect, for singers such as Amy Winehouse and Joss Stone. And I was like, 
she's no Amy Winehouse. And Amy Winehouse was going to be Amy Winehouse, regardless of if yeah. Nora Jones was ever a thing. And Joss what Stone fucking sucks. Yeah. So I don't care if there's no Joss Stone <laughs> ever. Like, who gives you shit? You're going to do a, like, a weirdly, like, jazzy version of fell in love with a girl and call it fell in love with a boy like that's terrible it's terrible stuff (laughs) to be clear this is a great song i really like the song and so i see why it seems like a great choice but the concept of repertoire in the old terminology of record companies is to match the songs with the performer and in that in this case i feel they really whiffed what would you if if she stuck with her never pushing it, Nora Jones' voice, what would you feel would be a repertoire that more suited her? I'm going to think about that. All right. <laughs> I thought you were going to have a joke queued up. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, t- I'm just cracking t- out t- my t- elbows. T- yeah, you know, it's <laughs> been throwing too many curveballs. Doing the new dance. Phil's been like. dancing from listening to this album. He's got his arms in the air and he's... <laughs> Which song were you dancing to? All right, we're, we're going to move things along here to the next tune on the focus list. This one is called Cold, Cold Heart. I've tried so hard, my dear, to show that you're my every dream. Yet you're afraid each thing I do is just some evil scheme. A memory from your lonesome past keeps us so far apart why can't i free your doubtful mind and melt your cold cold heart all right there you have it what do you think you had mentioned the bass players like in the band tell me about the bass players he like oh is the same dude across the whole record a guy named lee alexander i believe he played on most of the tracks only yes. he only didn't play on one track like the last I think track. It was eight or oh, last track. I got it. Track oh, 14. nearness of yeah. you because yeah. that's all piano. Yeah, there's multiple guitar players, like a Hammond player. I see like two drummers, mm-hmm. but I don't see any bass players lifted, listed. So it makes sense. Cool bass, cool bass take. I wrote that it was extremely forgettable, like strolling through a mall. Oh, I, I couldn't forget this because I hated this. I really <laughs> so okay. At first, I was like, this is rushed. It's like up tempo. It's up tempo from the Hank Williams version. And then I listened to the Hank Williams version and I'm like, it's not actually up tempo from the Hank Williams version. The reason it's rushed and it basically she tries to, I don't know, maybe purposefully break this country convention. There's the line, it leads into the hook line, keeps us so far apart. And he holds it and they do a round of the chords and then they come in with your cold, cold heart line. She doesn't do that. She cuts out that like extra long hold and just goes from keeps us so far apart, da 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 da, da your cold, cold heart. And it you're like, oh, it it doesn't breathe. You like it needs to breathe. And that's the whole thing about these country songs, which are so straight ahead. You need that hold to build a little bit of tension before you drop in the killer hook line. And she just doesn't do that. And maybe that was on purpose, but there's a reason that's a country convention because it fucking works. So let's drop in the Hank Williams version real quick. And then right after that, we can drop in what Nora Jones does in the lead up into the course. A memory from your lonesome past keeps us so far apart. Why can't I free your doubtful mind and melt your cold, cold heart? A memory from your lonesome past Keeps us so far apart Why can't I free your doubtful mind And melt your cold, cold heart Had you guys heard the Hank Williams version before the Nora Jones version? Yes. Because I had not. I had. Oh, you had. Okay, got it. So this was the only version of this song I knew until I went and, and did some research this week and found out that this was, in fact, yet another cover. So it was a, it was an interesting side-by-side listen on this track. Although I admit, to be clear, when I heard this on the Nora Jones record, I was like, this sounds really familiar. Is this a Hank Williams song? That's what my brain did. I wasn't 100% <laughs> nice. sure, but right. in fact, it was. You're, you know what? I'm right there with you, Rob. I was like, I know this song. She, there's no way, 
even throwing aside anything about my knowledge of old country music or anything like that, there's no way that Cold Cold Heart wasn't already a country song that somebody wrote back in the day. Like, yeah, it's just right there for the taking. Somebody <laughs> took it. That. Right. If there's ever a genre to contain Cold Cold Heart, it's old school country. I can appreciate what they did with the arrangement. It's nice and sparse. It's a good sparse arrangement. I think my favorite part of it is that they have the electric guitar basically as percussion, kind of doing yeah, like a yeah. That's cool. I like that. My only beef with that, I wrote down that it starts immediately with the song. The little mm. muted upstroke yeah. thing comes yeah. in right away, and then it kind of jars me because it's not performed perfectly. You'd think that'd be the easiest thing to perform. It's like a little dead string hit upstroke, but... I think on the second or third one, he kind of whiffs it. Well, I think that that's uh, Jesse Harris. It's not Bill Frizzell, certainly, doing that. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I didn't write down who who played guitar on that on this track. I'm pretty but. sure it is uh, the Jesse Harris. I think Bill Frizzell is actually only on one track, but he just happens to be a name that jumped out to me. She does do a thing on the piano that I really like at, at 114 where she follows the melody with a chord where her voice is the middle note of the triad. So she's playing like the first, the root and the fifth and leaving out the note that she's singing as she moves down in the melody. So she like doubles the melody uh, and cadence of what she's singing for like, I don't know, a bar. Yeah, she kind of like surrounds it, right? Yeah, it's really cool because she kind of like, again, just kind of follows the melody on a couple couple words in a line and it's a nice little, uh, nice little flourish that I... I liked at least. In anger and kind words I said that make the teardrop I want to amend my shit talking on Jesse Harris. He actually does not play the electric guitar in the song. That is the ah. guy, Adam Levy, who is apparently a permanent member of her band as well. Honestly, why wouldn't you be? If you're like, wait, how many albums are you selling? 30 million. <laughs> how big are these venues we're going to play in? I'm a right. jazz guitar player. I, like, okay, sure. Right. Yeah. Sign me up. Yo, I'm in. Yo, I can play seventh chords. Totally. Yeah, yes. exactly. 100%. <laughs> Normally, I'm playing seventh chords for 14 people, but you want to play seventh chords for like sold out stadiums. I'm down for that. But could, I mean, could you guys imagine going to see Nora Jones live? That, especially. Let's talk about like seeing Nora Jones live in 2003, 2004. You're not seeing her at like, you know, Smalls in Manhattan or something like that. You're seeing her at like the Hollywood Bowl or something like that. Who is having fun at that show? Yeah, Who is enjoying that? It's an interesting point. It's an interesting point. A lot of women with a cat sitter dancing with their eyes closed. <laughs> Jesus. And a lot of guys who are just desperately trying to get Who laid. are tagging along. Yeah. I wish I'd watched more of her live stuff. I wonder if she like steps it up for the live show. There, I, there's there's a cool I, version I, I of her it. doing uh, Black Hole Sun that's out there. I did see that. That's yeah, that's that that a cool. It's, a, right. it's a, really it's a up tempo, heavier. She's a heavier version of it, just yeah, like, it's super like, on the uh-huh, sludge side. Course. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think it was like five days after Chris Cornell died and some concert. She Bill did. Frizzell totally flubs the solo. Does he really? No, I'm just oh, kidding. Wait, I was okay, okay. Because Bill Frizzell, I imagine, you know, Bill Frizzell, the best gig Bill Frizzell might be able to play might still be as Nora Jones' guitar player. Sure. And sure. that's just I mean, the state of jazz appreciation in America. Like, I mean, it's probably the best. Well, I want to be heard. So. It's probably the best gig most side guitar players could get, right? Like yeah. You, yeah. Damn, yeah. It's chill, super chill, right? All right, we're going to move along to our next track on our focus list. This one is called Come Away With Me. Come away with me in the night Come away with me and I will write you a song Come away with me Come away where they can't tempt us with their All right, so now I'll, I'll throw some shade here because in general, I like the album and I know you guys hate it. That's fine. But this this bothered me because this they picked this as the title track, which just it's 
<laughs> if you guys think everything else on this album is boring, what do you think of this oh one? Because this one put me to bed. I thought that this was ter- a terrible song. And why Why would you name your... Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, pick any other Adam, song. She's trying to transport you with her music, oh. put you in a different mindset of sitting on your couch and staring just in the middle distance. Just cut this out and just make the nearness of you like this. I don't know. This is like a sandals commercial or like a... <laughs> <laughs> no, this is way too. This yeah. is sandals. Is, too sad, too tired. The time of yeah. my life. <laughs> sandals is for like you know people who are just discovering fucking again it's after exciting. the kids moved out of the house. Like, I thought he meant like, sandals, <laughs> the footwear product. But, but yeah. yeah, you guys are right. Yes, this has the equivalent uh, of sandals. It's like a commercial for white bread toast. <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of terrible lyrics, this really veered into green eggs and ham territory when she said, uh, come away with me on a bus. (laughs) Would you come away with me on a bus? I would not, could not on a bus. Yes. Is your name Russ? Uh, So that's, this is also my favorite song in the album. (laughs) I know, I know. And I'm not even saying it's a good song. But I, it was just your favorite. I want to walk with you on a cloudy day. I want to walk with you through a maze of hay. <laughs> <laughs> You're bringing some new shit to light here, dude. <laughs> yeah, in light of this new shit, I might have to say I don't like this song. God damn you guys for ruining this album for me. I feel like our listeners. To, to, to be clear, the only, the only the first half of that couplet was courtesy of Nora Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I just, all right, I like... It's like right at 125 where she says, come away with me and we'll kiss. And she does a very tasteful following of the melody line with single notes on the piano. Come away with me and we'll kiss on a mountain top. Come away with me and I... I thought it was tasteful. It was the song on the album that I thought had the most drama to it. Uh, I I know I know. Are you <laughs> I'm Are not you kidding. Freaking kidding! I'm not kidding. This is the song I thought had the most drama on it. I yes. I can agree with tasteful, and I think there was also a decent, you know, nice understated guitar solo here. I took note of the whole thing just goes down too smooth for me, and I think I think we're just at that argument. At least with Adam, I'll speak to it, Adam. Which is I just need personality in the music. I would rather a lo-fi recording of a schizophrenic man like Daniel Johnston singing a good song. Oh, you want a personality crisis? <laughs> right, right. Get it while it's hot. <laughs> right. <laughs> then something that just goes down like I'm being fed oatmeal through a tube. <laughs> Decaffeinated tea. <laughs> I mean, you're making some good you're making some good points, guys. I'm not you're, def- you're killing defending me here, but... this song. I'm more saying it was my favorite song on this album. Sure. Very simple chords with a pleasant voice. It has its place. And I think that being presented this song, absent having to listen to the entire album several times, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's whatever. That's cool. Whereas some of the songs, I was just like, oh, come on. Like, fuck this song. I didn't feel that about this. So... It gets my vote. Best song in the album. <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> All right, let's keep this train rolling. Uh, we're gonna hit the la- <laughs> we're gonna hit the last song on our focus list here. This one's called "I've Got to See You Again." You know, I'm trying to decipher my note here. It just says, as because I think I just fell asleep and my face hit the keyboard, and that's the only note that I was able okay, to put. Okay, so, so this is my favorite track. I thought Same it had here. this is my favorite. Yeah. And I wrote that it had kind of an Argentine tango feel, and it and by far to me, it had the best dynamics in the production. That's what I was sort of waiting for for the production to come alive. They're clearly all really competent or even very skilled players. But this just had a lot of 
dynamic texture to it. You know, you have the dead string clicky guitar. You have yeah. we finally in a minor key. We got a little piano solo that's interacting with a violin. We got her harmonizing herself. Like, where right. were these elements on the rest of the record? You know, it is funny you say that. Uh, I, I would have also said that this was maybe the maybe not my favorite song on the record, but at least on this listen through and listening this week, I was most intrigued with this. This was also the song, though, that my nine-year-old son, out of nowhere, just blurted out, this song's really bad. <laughs> like, like, he heard this, this playlist several times, and just yesterday at dinner, for no reason, in silence, he said, this song's really bad. <laughs> so, Did he mention, one, was there any one specific thing that he hated? I'm curious. I, uh, uh, no. <laughs> he didn't get into it? No. Didn't get into we didn't, I didn't press him too much on it. So I will say this is the most interesting song on the album. It's very well produced. I didn't think it fit with the album, which is kind of why I didn't throw it out there as like, you know, favorite song on the album. Because she's going for a thing, and it's kind of not this thing. And this is an aberrant song on the album. And so while I will agree that it is more interesting than some of the other songs in terms of like what I think she's really trying to go for, I don't think this is it. I don't think this is what she's trying to go for, generally speaking. This is another Jesse Harris song, right? Yeah, I I, I also, th- this was my favorite song. I thought her, her vocals were, were really nice. The one thing I, I do, I, I know you're, you're saying she's not pushing her voice a lot on the album, I wish that some of the harmonies had been any other member of the band. I know what you mean. You know, her harmonizing with herself. I think having a male voice to not to counteract, but but to counter her her tone would have been a really nice dynamic. Again, Rob, if you're talking about something, you know, to to wake you up, that that may have helped a bit. This had something interesting too, and I've I've struggled. Is the sound of the fiddle on this album and I struggled because I I was in my head I was calling it like Jewish style fiddle and I looked it up that there is a a style of fiddle playing called klezmer fiddle mm. you have to play that which, on the roof actually right yeah. <laughs> well, well that's well <laughs> that's what that is so it's a style of fiddle playing which was born out of somewhere in in Europe but it it has a lot of like quarter quarter note slides into into whatever note they're going to hit, and it has a very distinct style. So I'm going to ask our audience here to help correct me if I'm wrong on this one. If you're at all familiar with the style of violin or fiddle playing, let me know if I'm wrong. This is me asking for some help here from what I from what I could gauge from just listening to this song. It had that that style to it. So I, I, that was something cool that took me down a little bit of a of a rabbit hole on on violins and fiddles. Well, so. we didn't play it, but the Jesse Harris. And the what the hell is the name of that? His is a really terrible name of his band, the Fountaineers or something like that, the Fondaliers, something like that. that <laughs> I, I hope yeah. it's the Fountaineers. <laughs> I really hope it's the, the, the Fondaliers. Fondaliers. Yeah, <laughs> they did their version of "Don't Know Why," and the violin on that is actually complete dog shit. It's terrible. <laughs> yes, it's really it bad. <laughs> like, it's like if you handed it to me and we're like, try to play the melody. All right, buckle up. It is definitely like, all right, well, you know, listen, I had to get an elective class in in my sophomore year of high school. <laughs> so I decided to take violin. And all of a sudden, somebody's like, hey, you want to play on my album? Yeah. And here I was touring with Bell and Sebastian, and they just called me up. Right? <laughs> Plucked up by Jesse and the Fondelier. Yeah. All right, so that's going to wrap it here for the last song in our focus list. So now what we do every week is that we go around the room here and get everyone's vote on whether or not you need to hear this album. Let's go over to Phil first. Yeah, so this this is a nice sounding record. It's it's very soothing. But this is going to go on the heap with The Police and Madonna and Elliot <laughs> Smith and Prince. Uh, you, you can pass on Nora Jones. This is like one big click above like the sound of water splashing on the beach on YouTube. <laughs> so this, uh, yeah, this is a no. All right, it's a no from <laughs> Phil. Rob said no. All right, let's move to... T- no, t- <laughs> Rob, take you it away. You know why Rob said no. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it's a stunning no from me. <laughs> you absolutely do not need to waste your time with this. I get it. I'm not the audience for this. And no doubt, this is tasteful material that is tastefully produced i'm not really disputing that fact but i just do not think it adds at all to the musical canon and my biggest problem with it is 
the song choice. And like, for instance, I think if you're going to be this kind of jazzy singer with this jazzy backing band, you need to choose songs that have more complex melodies and changes to them. And we didn't talk about this song, but the last song on the record, The Nearness of You, the Hoagie Carmichael tune, the same guy that wrote Stardust and Georgia On My Mind, right. is a great example of that. So if they had chosen more of those that kind of material, not necessarily standards, you know, they could have been from any era and from any genre, but you're looking for more... I was looking for more complexity from a singer and from a production style like this and just didn't get it. The highlight of the podcast to this point might have been hearing you say Hoagie Carmichael. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I got to say it too. <laughs> Wawa should come out with a Hoagie Carmichael. Would be great. Yeah, lots of people get that reference. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All the Delco folks getting their Hoagies from the wall wall. So, this is Tom here. This album is the equivalent of hotel art. The art that you see in a hotel room. It's well done, meant to be inoffensive to the broadest range of people possible, and in final verdict, completely uninteresting. And so I got to give it a no. She's got a nice voice. I need much more than a nice voice to be a must-hear album. And yeah, I don't give a shit that more people than the population of like fucking Argentina <laughs> have bought this album. I don't care. It needs more to it. There's not a lot of substance. It's it's fluffy. And so that's a big no for me. All right. So this is Adam and I will not invoke the fallacious argument of what is it? Ad populum. <laughs> the uh, how many people? Anyway. I think that this album was what I needed at the time. I like her voice. I like her. Pro I like the production on this album. And like a petulant child, I am going to stamp my foot down and say, I like this album <laughs> and you need to hear it. However, that doesn't really matter because I have been crushed tonight. Three to one. Stay tuned for and next that, week's episode when Adam will not be invited. <laughs> right. <laughs> I will be at home listening to my Hoobastank collection and <laughs> Nora Jones and System of a Down. They just they just go together. You know, I can see the playlist yes. right now. <laughs> All right. So there you have it, folks. Nora Jones' debut album, Come Away With Me, does not need to be heard before you die. All right, so now what we're going to do is we're going to throw things over to Rob, who is monitoring the mailbag. I think he's got something for us, so take it away, Rob. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Excited to get into this mailbag. We love hearing from everyone out there. I think Adam put out a specific call to learn about more about klezmer music and some other things, so we hope you write in soon. This one comes to us from Julia from Chattanooga. I think you pronounce Julian incorrectly because there's no way we have a female listener, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hard to believe, I know. On the, she says, this is a little correction. On the love episode, Adam confused the song A House Is Not A Home by Burt Bacharach with the song My Little Red Book, also by Bacharach. Love did do a version of Bacharach's My Little Red Book on their debut album, but changed the song up so much that Bacharach said he didn't like it. Not nearly the beef that modern day artists have, but wanted to correct Adam's misstatement. By the way, R.I.P. Burt. He just died as we're recording this. Very sad. Oh, that's right. I'm picturing yeah. the beef between Bacharach and Love, where he's just like driving by the SUV with blacked out windows, just leaning out the side of the Uzi, like <laughs> 90s rapper style. <laughs> How dare you change my chord choices? <laughs> you switched the lyrics up a little bit. <laughs> Hal David at the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the correction. We appreciate that. Don't forget, if you have anything else to tell us, you can always email us at 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. Now we're going to throw things over to Tom, who's going to tell us what we're listening to next week. Thank you. Thank you. I am excited to get another album to listen to. I'm hoping that this one will be just as family friendly. Maybe, um, you know, I could uh, roll down to my local optometrist and ask him if he has any recommendations <laughs> on albums that we can listen to. But for now, I guess I'll just have to resort to busting out that old Albinator. Let's see if it has the gumption to actually push something out of it. 
I'm going to give it a spin here. Drum roll, please. Next week, we will be listening to oh, a little album called Odelay by the artist Beck. I think uh, a little less funky than Nora Jones. Probably <laughs> slightly less funky. <laughs> a few more dissonant notes. Just a couple. Awesome. All right, folks. Well, there you have it. You've got your homework assignment for next week. It is Odelay by Beck. That is going to do it for us here tonight at 1001 Album Complaints. I am Adam. I am Phil. I'm Rob. I've been Tom. Boosh. <laughs> Sorry, did I step on your boosh? Did you have a boosh? Like, no, no, okay. that, that's for I, I didn't have a boosh. Okay.